Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the passage that was read earlier by Paul. Before we come to the table to hear why we're coming to the table and on what grounds we have to come to the table. I will read from verse 33 to verse 39 to give the full context of what I call convinced by proximity. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, and I will not even try to imitate what may have taken place in those moments, because neither you nor I have the slightest understanding of what was taking place when he so cried that God had forsaken him. So, verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Here's my text. When the centurion who was standing in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Father, how can any human being, how can any mere mortal grasp the magnitude of what we have just read? This is why we need the ministry of your Spirit to open our understanding to your truth, to unveil your word to us, so that we hear like the centurion this morning in a way we have never heard before. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You will remember the frenzy that was across the entire North American continent and into places beyond when Mill Gibson produced The Passion of the Christ. Conversation about the cross was heard in places that it was not always heard. But there's one thing that Mel Gibson could not do. Mel Gibson could not give us what was behind what Jesus was going through. His focus was upon the physical sufferings of Christ. And many people were affected by that. I read things. I didn't see the movie, but I read and I followed the, the follow-ups. And it is interesting to me that as we, we think of the, the whole event, as we think in terms of how that had an effect upon the whole community, it didn't last. Before too long, people went back doing their stuff, using Christ's name to swear, and on and on it goes. It is my concern this morning for the time that is allotted that I want us to go beyond. I want us to see something perhaps like this centurion saw. And he saw a lot of things. 
But I want to begin my meditation this morning before we come to the table to share with you something that we need to experience in our own lives if we are to see as he saw. And it is the proximity of this man to Jesus. The proximity of this man to Jesus. Both Mark and Luke and Matthew give us some understanding of what was happening, but Mark tells us that this man was in front of Jesus. This man was was eyeball to eyeball because the cross was was put in a hole and, and, and Jesus was brought to it and they nailed him there, then put him there, and his responsibility as a centurion was to take care of the whole event that was supposed to take place as far as the sentence of death was pronounced on Jesus Christ. I don't know what time he got up, but he was called as a centurion to be responsible for 100 soldiers who were to carry out what was done, what was to be done. He was to take care, says Matthew, in chapter 27, Now the centurion and those who were with him were keeping watch. So he walked up the Valle de Rosa. He heard the crying women. He heard the religious leaders doing their stuff. He heard the first word from the cross. He saw the anger of the people around him. He was there because of his proximity. And and the thing that attracts my attention with this is how many people talk about Jesus but have never been close to Jesus. Think of the amount of time that Mr. Gibson spent researching everything about Jesus. He'd never been close to Jesus. Think about how many times we have come to the table and we can hardly wait for it to all finish so we can go to do our thing. Think about how many times we we have heard in the life of others the closeness of Jesus and we become skeptical because we're not too sure that that is real. And what I'm suggesting to you this morning, my friends, that if you and I are to experience anything from coming to the table, we must first of all be in front of Jesus. By faith, we must be able to come and say, the only thing that matters right now is that I am confronted by the reality of the presence of Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. I mentioned in my prayers about the people in British Columbia 7.3 7.3 on the rector's scale. Unheard of. Never happened before in Canada. I mean, imagine sitting down watching your television and all of a sudden the earth begins to shake. What matters then? What matters then? I listened to a testimony of a family Last evening, 
They were on their way from church. And a drunken driver ran a red light and almost decimated the entire family. The mother, the father, the son, the daughter, all were critically ill in wheelchairs for months. The one that suffered the most was the 16-year-old girl. She was in a coma for three months, as the story goes. And the doctor said to the mother, don't hold any hope for her coming out of this. What matters then? What matters when we are confronted by some of the tragedies of life? If we are not in the presence of Jesus. Something was happening to this man. He saw Jesus. He looked at the way Jesus responded to those who were, who were vindictive toward him. He saw one of the most ignominious things. They spit in his face. He heard the religious leaders he heard his own emperor. He heard, he heard Pilate condemning an innocent man. And he saw something in the response of Jesus that he could not understand. But only by being close in proximity to Jesus can you see those things and then have him interpret as we shall see in a minute. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn that we don't sing a lot anymore. We find a new tune for it, but we... We do sing it here. Listen to the first verse. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt and all my pride. When I survey. When you survey, my friends, you just don't take a casual look. When you survey, you get all the nuances of what's going on here. And when we come to the table, we need to see if we are connecting what we're doing with what happened there in Calvary so many years ago because there is a connection. Jesus said, as often as you come to the table, you do this in remembrance of me. Proximity. Proximity. Because in the events of life, my friends, the one thing that will matter, you know, it's interesting to me, when did Mel Gibson's life start to fall apart? After the passion of the Christ. I mean, all kinds of things. He became a villain, if you please, even in Hollywood. Because it is possible, my friends, to study Jesus and never be close to Jesus. It is possible to know about Jesus without being close to Jesus. So that is the proximity. If you are struggling with being here this morning, ask him, Lord, please help me to understand the meaning of the cross. Help me to understand the meaning of coming to the table. Help me to get close to you this morning. Secondly, the perception of Jesus. The proximity gave him the perception. Please listen. 
He was standing in front of Jesus physically. And he saw the way he breathed his last. Have you ever stopped to think of that? He saw the way he breathed his last. In other words, there was something in the way that Jesus expired that gripped the soul of this man. It was not possible for him to see that without being shaken to the core of his being as the earthquake shook those people last night. It is said that that in investigating one of his crimes, Sherlock Holmes said to his beloved Watson, the trouble with you, Watson, is that you see but you don't observe. You see but you don't observe. How many of us see but we never observe? There, There is something more than what's going on here. This man was seeing, but he was also observing when he saw. In other words, my friends, his eyes really were the channels of seeing with his soul. His eyes awaken his conscience when he saw the way that Jesus died. Nicus What's his name? Kazanzekas. In, in his book, The Last Temptation, The T- Last Temptation of Christ, he presented a scene in which Satan passed before Jesus' imagination when he was on the cross, what he could have had if he had resisted the cross. This is what Nikos said. If you had only resisted the cross, this is what Satan is saying to Jesus on the cross. You could have had a home in Bethany. You could have had a wife. Or you could have had, listen to the blasphemy of this, you could have had both a home and a wife if if you had only resisted the cross. See, he studied the life of Christ. He calls it the last temptation. And he said the last temptation of Jesus was on the cross when Satan said to him he'd never perceived that Jesus was more than just a man who who wants a home or a man who wants a woman. He did not understand that that man on the cross was the Son of God. So for him, it meant absolutely nothing. So actually to project a human invasion into this holy scene, he sees Satan intervening between Christ and God and suggesting something else to him. The centurion standing in front of Jesus saw the way he breathed his last and he saw in one moment all that Nikos saw beyond what he saw, all beyond what what, uh, Gibson saw. There are people who are studying the life of Jesus today and will come up with conclusions like this female theologian who said, when I think of the cross, I think of the divine child abuse. When I think of the cross, I think of the divine child abuse. No perception at all. They are not close enough to see something 
that can awaken their soul to the reality of what was going on. One of my favorite writers, Dr. James Stewart, said in the death of Christ, and I want you to understand that this man is coming to the conclusion he's coming to at the death of Christ, not at the life. Not when he was on the cross. Not when they were spitting in his face. It was when he died. Because the death of Christ means life for him and life for you and me. So Dr. James Stewart wrote that the death of Christ goes right beyond all words and argument. In a word, it says what words can never say. For this is a deed plowed into history. An accomplished fact towering all the wrecks of time. Listen to how St. Paul puts it. And by the way, remember, when Stephen was dying, Saul, as he was called at that time, stood beside and observed what was being done. And when the soldiers who were killing Stephen started to stone him, they needed their coats and their outer garments to be, to, be, to be placed in someone. And Saul was the one who received their garments and he observed, he observed how Stephen was dying. And somehow he couldn't get away from that. Later on, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, I declare to you that which was given to me, how Jesus died for our sins. The death of Christ. You see, my friends, it is the death of Christ that opens heaven. It is the death of Christ that reveals the heart of God. It is the death of Christ that gives life to dead souls. Someone has rightly said that Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make good people better. He came to make dead people live. When he saw, he, 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 he was affected to the deepest part of his being. The scripture says it. Jesus Christ did not take a nap. He didn't shroom. He died when he breathed his last. The centurion who was in front of him saw something. He had seen many, many criminals die on a cross before, but he has never seen a death like this one. Nothing to be compared to it. I deliver to you that which I received, Christ died. May I say it again, friends? I've said it from this place before. It is not the love of Christ that saves us. It's the death of Christ. The love of Christ only made the death possible. But it was his death. It was his stripes we were healed. Our souls, in all their ugliness, can be transformed when we come to perceive who Jesus is and what he has done for the souls of men. The perception. What are you seeing this morning as I'm speaking? How are you viewing the table? What is racing through your minds? Are you concerned about the, whether the oven will go off on time? 
or whether your place will be saved at Appleby or wherever you go. <laughs> My friends, if we do not perceive of Jesus more than simply another communion Sunday, we have missed the reason for being here this morning. If he does not open up something of God to us, if he does not open something of the uniqueness of who he was to us, we have missed the reason for being here. When he saw how he died, let me quickly get to the proclamation. When he saw how he breathed his last, he said, surely this was the Son of God. Now, my friends, you don't know how magnanimous is that statement. Because as far as a Roman citizen was concerned, the only one who was considered to be deified were the emperors. They were the gods. And it's, it's interesting that, that what he said, surely this was God's son, the son of God. What he was saying, he was saying that there was something of divineness about this person. He was talking about this person who invaded time. If he's the son of God, then he is before time. So he has to come into time. And if he is the son of God, Mark began his gospel by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. There are many people who don't believe this today that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he was an angel. They believe that he's a created being that God gave certain powers to. But my friends, the Bible knows no such thing. When he said he was the Son of God, he was saying, that this man has attributes that belong only to God. And there is no comparison at all to whoever he is. I have come to the realization that he is unique in his person. Just, just think of it. When Jesus was dying, he brought a Jewish thief and a Roman centurion and redeemed both of them at the cross. That moment. The son of God. And my friends, he's the one who is alive today. And wants to transform your life. He wants to bring us into communion. Not only with himself, but to the father. So that we can truly say. Our father. Who art in heaven. This is a proclamation that we should never be embarrassed about. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I wouldn't have life if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't know forgiveness if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't know the love of God if I didn't believe it. I think Wesley will sing this at the end of this service, but I love so much the third, uh, the fourth verse in some because there are several verses to and can it be. But I think in the book I looked at, it was verse 4. Listen, listen to these words. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eyes diffuse 
are living. A light that was never seen before. This life-giving light from God into my dark soul diffused a quickening ray. I awoke the dungeon floods with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth to follow thee. My friends, the proximity of Jesus leads to the perception of Jesus that results in the proclamation of Jesus. As you come to the table this morning, how close are you? As you come to the table this morning, what do you think of Jesus? This table, my friend, is provided for those who have trusted Christ, who can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, this man, the way he lived and the way he died, is none but the Son of God. And listen to what God says. He or she that has the Son has life. Has life. Let's give him thanks. Father, may your word cause us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face so that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Bring someone, Father, bring someone close to Jesus this morning that they might see of Jesus they have, what they have never seen before. And we will know that that has happened because the logical expression of the right perception of Jesus is to proclaim him to be the son of God. We thank you in his name. Amen. Well, those who have been asked to serve the communion, please come forward at this time. Again, if you are a visitor here this morning and you know Christ as Savior, you are welcome to this table because this table is not ours. It's Christ's table. It is for the family of God. If you have never received Christ, allow the emblems to pass by. And perhaps if you want to talk some more about how you can become a part of the family of God, we'll be very happy to talk with you after this service.
Amen. Amen. In Sunday school, we've been talking about God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Scripture goes on to say that if we're going to say that we have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, we are liars. So we talked about the importance of being totally open and honest with God, with ourselves, and with fellow believers. As we do that, and as we receive the things our pastor talked about, <coughs> what, what is set forth today that God the Son gave his life, he died on the cross, was buried and rose again. As we, as we do that, God, can not only, God will not only save us for eternity, but will change us. The hymn writer wrote, by God's grace, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. That, that's happened in my life. That can happen in your life if it hasn't already. God will do that for us. We praise him. We thank him that, that he can bring us to a place of humility, of gratitude, and of fellowship. Let's partake together. Father, we are so thankful for your word and for your truth. Lord, I pray that each one of us would receive it as it is, the truth from you, the very word of God. And Lord, that we would be totally honest with you, honest with ourselves, and honest with others. Lord, we are so thankful. We praise you. Lord, we pray that at this service this morning, each one of us would be before you, what would bring honor to your name and what you want? A personal relationship with each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
there is a scene that is going through my mind at this moment. Back in Toronto, it was about 2.30 in the morning. David was 37 years old. And about 2 o'clock, I received a call from Christine saying, please come. I rushed to the hospital and they wanted me to serve David the communion because they knew that he was about to breathe his last. There was something sacred about that moment. David was dying 37 years old from Lou Gehrig's disease. He could hardly hold the bread, he could hardly swallow. But every act of his to eat that bread and to drink that cup made those moments so sacred. And after he had struggled to drink the cup, he breathed his last. But that was only his last here. Because of the blood shed by Christ on the cross, David will breathe forever. This is what this cup means to us. Facing life here, that we might have life forever. And so we thank God that what the blood of bulls and goats could never do, the blood of Jesus Christ did. And for that we're thankful as we partake. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Amen. We're going to sing, and, excuse me, and can it be. Please stand with me as we do. Yes. 
Grant that that song will penetrate our minds because it comes from our hearts. Amazing love. Oh God, if we're not experiencing that today, grant it to us today. Send us from this place, our God, with a new sense of appreciation for the cross of Christ and for what it means to us. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. May we leave this place to proclaim Jesus, the Son of God. Amen.